Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. My first question, and I'm sure, I know you've thought this through, so I'm excited for your answer. Like the risk of having your stuff handled by so many lay people. Um, so, so, you know, and then and so we, we talk about like, you know, thieving and all that stuff. Like you're having everyday people who are not insured, who are not accredited, who are not anything, picking up your stuff and knocking it around. Not, not quite true. So we, we do a background check on everybody. Okay. And the, and the drivers get rated. So when the driver comes to pick up from your business, it says, would you like to rate the driver? And you know that rating drivers makes a higher quality driver. And then we rate the driver, say, how many perfect deliveries did you do? So um, you actually end up with equal tracking. We're doing the same background check as UPS does or uh, FedEx does. And that, what you're saying people think, but it's the same thing as Uber. When Uber first started, I said, oh, I'm not getting in the car with a stranger. Right. Instead, I'm getting in, in the car with a taxi stranger which exactly. is exactly sort of a different stranger in a different color car <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's kind of the same thing and um and we actually will be in my opinion equal or even better because of the rating system like fedex drivers don't get rated i mean they, they can and uh whatnot and as well um we have video so when you go to drop the parcel the hive we see it we've got weight continuity so we know you dropped 12 pounds at the hive, you picked up 12 pounds. Um, so I think we have equal security. And if you've delivered a thousand parcels, the probability that you're a crook is relatively low. The second sad thing, the, the best way to save the environment is to not be consumers. But if I can't stop people from being consumers, but the sad thing is if I stole everything that you ordered, it really doesn't have much value to me. Like, I'm not going to wear, like, <laughs> it's true. Is, you don't want my leggings is, that are on the way to my house. Like, they don't, I don't help want you. your leggings. Yeah. I don't, I don't like your protein powder. I don't like, exactly. it's, it's unlike, it has very low value. And that's largely what we're I don't want your 40 pound kettlebell. I can't lift it. It doesn't help me. Uh, uh, there you go. Exactly. So it's, uh, um, it's I hear not it. It's value. really much more of a theoretical fear. It's not super practical. Right. It's, it's the Uber fear. You wouldn't, you like, you would, I would not, yeah. when Uber first came out, I said, I'm not getting in a car with a stranger, but, and then I got in a car with a stranger who happened to be a taxi driver. Like where, where's my head at, right? The coordination though. So are you launching it like, you know, niche geographic location at a time? Cause the coordination has got to be much harder because it's not hub and spoke. Yes. So we're launching in the greater Toronto area right now. And then we're launching in Southern California and Ohio. Ooh, that's where I am. Uh, Awesome. So we're launching in Southern California in probably about uh, 120 days. Cool. And, uh, and we have to be global. We have to be North America. Um, that's one of the issues here. You have to be on scale. You can't, I can't go and say, well, I want to deliver your parcels, but, oh, we can't go to Chicago. You, you kind of have to go everywhere. So, so what are, you uh, doing? are you just doing it niche and then tapping into a bigger network to get it farther out of your world? Yeah. That, that, that's what we're doing, but we will be national um, U.S within a year and a half because you can't you just don't want to ship if you can't get it to cleveland like you need to get yeah, it well, to cleveland, right and, and now for the long haul you're in california you ship to new york you're not going to hop hive to hive to hive to get to new york we're going to line haul just like all other couriers so we're going to line haul a truck um from what does line haul mean 
basically it means a truck. So you, you put a, uh, 2,000 parcels in a truck, and the truck picks it up in California, drops it at a terminal in uh, New York, and then it gets distributed from there. So for long, long hauls, where we have serious competitive advantage is um, semi-regional. So from LA to San Francisco, good competitive advantage because there's a lot of traffic going that way and it's, it's not that far. We have great competitive advantage also in that we can do four, guaranteed four hour delivery depending on the geographic range. And that's the other thing that consumers are wanting faster and faster delivery. I don't fully agree with it because of the environmental footprint, but given that it is what it is, we can do four hour and UPS and FedEx can't because hub and spoke does not work on four hour delivery for you to ship. I don't know where the hub is in, in LA or, but you just can't ship from LA to LA because it has to go to a hub and get sorted and turn around and come back. Right. Totally. Yeah. Only Amazon can because they're doing it from their distribution centers and they can only even do, they have their two hour delivery, but only in the major cities. What you're doing is you're bringing this to cities that won't have distribution centers. Well, totally right. And to some extent is the distribution center a smart idea? Like Danby Appliances, we make uh, refrigerators, bar fridges. So we make a thousand bar fridges. We ship them to Amazon to sit in a warehouse, and then they ship it to you. Is that logical, or is it smarter for us to ship it to you? Like, and, and so you're breaking the whole the whole way things are done. Um, and it'll take a while, but a, a decade from now, you're gonna say, "Gee, I remember when we used to do hub and spoke, and when there used to be these distribution centers. Wasn't that funny?" Um, so. <laughs> Totally the same way. I'll say like, you know, I remember when I used to have to get picked up from the airport somewhere because I didn't know how to get anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And now I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I, I went to Poland recently, went to London. I was just like, I just need an Uber. I'm fine. I don't know where I am. I don't exactly. know where I'm going, but I'm good. I, I, I moved to LA and I drive around here and I'm like, how did anyone function before GPS? They, apparently they asked you have these like books with maps. I'm from New York. New York is a grid. It's like letters and numbers and it's a grid and you can find anything anywhere. LA is like spaghetti and everything's got names and then streets cross other streets. So they're on one side of it at one point, the other side another point. And like, there's no way you got to live here for like 30 years to know where things go. I, I, you're, you're totally right. But that's the way things are. It's a, it's a decade from now. I, I, like, I like doing uh, ideas and products that are a decade from now. My parcel guard. A decade from now, most people are going to have some sort of a uh, parcel protection. They're not going to say, oh, just drop the parcel on my front porch. It's not going to happen a decade from now. Just like when I was growing up, it's like, don't lock your cars. Matter of fact, the keys were in the ignition. And then we got really high security and we put them on the visor. Remember the club? Remember the club? Remember the club and then the club. <laughs> exactly. I, exactly. We had a club. I remember the club. The club. Everyone had one. And then, you know, everyone exactly. started getting a club spray that like broke the thing in half. It was nothing. It was like paper. <laughs> That's right. I hear. So the parcel that the parcel guard is a special mailbox that people drop the parcels off in. It's a yeah, product. It, it's it's a product. It's, it's, uh, it's a okay, I didn't and, catch and, that. I thought it was some kind of thing you attached. It's a, it's a product. No. It's an end user product that I, as a consumer, might buy, have in my porch so that people can drop packages exactly. off inside. Exactly, exactly. And when the parcel gets dropped off, you get an email or a text to say you've got a four pound parcel. If the driver takes the time to scan the barcode, you know what the barcode is if you want the barcode. If you're doing a return to Amazon or whatever, you just give the driver the code and he can punch in the code. Um, I can, or alternatively, he can call you on a cell and you can remotely open the, the, the bigger. Isn't that the, more annoying the for the drop off pickup guys? Like they're coming, they think they're just going to oh, drop no. it on your porch. So, 
Yeah, so the drop the drop end of it, it it's like a, an old-fashioned postal box. So you just pull the top down and put it in. So uh, there's no okay, box, it's there's easy no to get in. It's easy to, to get, get in, out. tougher to get out. You can't get out. It's the bottom part. But if you're doing a return, then yes, the driver has to type in a code. Right, yes, but otherwise they have to ring your doorbell anyways. They're already prepared to take right. it. Right. Exactly, exactly. Or they can call you on your cell and you can remotely open and you've got a camera so you can see, hey, wait a minute, you don't, you don't look like a UPS driver or whatever, <laughs> right? Oh, this is amazing. I like the idea of thinking in decades also. You have some very cool stuff. Like, okay, this is my next decade. Like, okay, I'm gonna work on this for a decade. But that's, that's the thing. Nothing big happens overnight. Like I work with micro business owners, right? So a lot of people who are starting out, small companies, I work up to the million dollar profit range. Like that's my range, like zero to a million. Everyone's like, really? Like their business is that big? I was like, yeah, a lot actually. Or <laughs> a lot, because they start that size before they get to the bigger sizes. I like those beginning stages. But a lot of people come into it and, uh, and don't realize how much time, energy, effort it's gonna take to get to where they wanna go. They're like, oh, okay, I'm gonna start a business and I'm gonna be making a lot of money in the first you know, six months, so this is gonna be fun. Uh, but it takes time. I like your decade thinking. You're, you're, so so uh, one thing I say is uh, people tend to overestimate what they can accomplish in a day and underestimate what they can accomplish in a decade. And if you think about it, what, what, what are you going to do tomorrow? Oh, I'm going to go into the office. I'm going to tidy up all my papers. I'm going to get caught up on my email. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Well, I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not going to get through all that. So I tend to overestimate what I can get done in a day. But a decade from now, we will have built something that is, is great. And so we, that's just what I, the way I believe. Super cool. Super, super cool. So what... I almost hesitate to ask because I can't even imagine, but what do you struggle with now? It feels like you really have a handle not only on the technicalities of business, but also on what we call the soft skills, right? Leadership, management, growth, patience, um, persistence, perseverance, like you're a superstar. <laughs> oh, so <laughs> no, no, actually, no, I'm not at all. I'm just a regular person. Um, but what am I struggling with now? It's all the little stuff. It's the, the big stuff is the decade stuff. I mean, I know the big stuff will get done, but what, what's happening as of right now? Well, coronavirus is happening. That means shipments are not coming from China and all my parts come from China. And, and part of my business is, is selling window and portable air conditioners. And if I don't get the window air conditioners out to Home Depot by May, then do you want to say, oh, your, your uh, air conditioners are being delivered in September? How's that going to go for me? Like, it, <laughs> it's not happening. So I have all of these micro um, business uh, issues all the time, um, and I think all businesses do, but the key is not to catastrophize over them to the extent we can, not to lose sleep over what we can't impact. Um, the United States also put tariffs on all products coming from China pretty well, and so all of a sudden I've got all these uh, tariffs on, on goods that I uh, am buying, and uh, I've got a lot of little... Uh, why do you have tariffs if you're in Canada? Because you're going, you're pulling it through the U.S. Oh, more than half my sales are in the U.S. Most of my uh, sales. Are in the US. Meaning, if Big you source in China, even if you manufacture it in Canada, U.S. is going to tariff you. As, yes, unless my unless my Canadian content's more than fifty percent. So if and and I'm also manufacturing the states. So I okay. often ship parts parts into the United States. So I've got factories in Finley, Ohio, and Sarah Land, which is Mobile, Alabama, and uh, 
Tolleson, which is Phoenix. And uh, I did not know that 50%. I thought it was based on where you manufactured it. I didn't realize it was even on the, on the parts, although that makes sense because otherwise you could just get around the whole thing. Right. So, I mean, but this is just, this, I, these are what I call conditions. And in business, you deal with conditions. And what they are is, okay, how am I going to work around whatever this condition is? So that's my view on politics. It, whoever gets in, I just work around. With, like This sets the playing field. I'm now playing on this playing field. These are now the rules. And you will have the same thing in what you do um, in various things. So if the new rules are, you have to do something, you just decide how are you, what's your micro competitive advantage? How are you going to win against um, other people? And I spend a lot of time focusing on competitive advantage. And in my business all, has always been tiny competitive advantage. It's not been massive, like the, rare has it been that I, I've got the, the patent on something that, you know, nobody else can produce. Uh, you know, I was selling computers that everybody else was selling, right? And parcel mailboxes. I believe within a decade, most households will have some sort of parcel solution. I'm not arrogant enough to think it's going to be only mine. There's going to be 20, there's already 50 other companies that have some sort of parcel solution, parcel mailboxes. And, but I have competitive advantage because I do sell to Costco and Home Depot and Lowe's. I do have sales relationships. I, I have a million square feet of space. I move 10,000 containers. I know how to move big boxes. I know how to make big boxes. So there is some competitive advantage, but if you want to go and steal that idea, you can steal that idea and you still have competitive advantage because you don't have my overheads. So like, and you could, someone could say, oh, we want them in pink and you can, you know, want 10, 10, 10 of them in pink. And you say, oh yeah, 10 of them in pink, I'll paint them. And I, you tell me you want 10 of them. I'm saying, well, I can't do anything for 10. Like it, it, it takes too much to set up a line, right? I can't make anything. We, we uh, sell 2 million appliances a year. So you can imagine if you want 20 of something it, it's like or 100 of something you don't do small batch <laughs> I, I don't do small runs exactly exactly i love that so for for a small business owner sitting like people ask me this all the time how do they find competitive advantage like we run swot analysis and we do a competitive analysis um i'm curious what would you do if a business owner came and said like okay how do i find my competitive advantage so for starters, it, in my business, it's not a, a competitive advantage. It is what are the competitive advantages and what are the okay. micro competitive, they're tiny competitive advantages. So things I look for is 100% utilization of resource. So we bring containers in from uh, China and I looked in the chi chi at the container and the top, you know, there's space in the top. There's a foot of space, air in the top. I said, oh, great. What can we put in the top of that container? Oh, well, let's put smoothie blenders in there. So now we bring in some smoothie blenders and, 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 and what's our competitive advantage? We don't pay for shipping from China. So our poor competitors have to pay from ship for shipping. And then I said, Oh, well, let's put it in a brown paper box because if it's in a brown paper box, we can just put a shipping label on it and ship it because most of these are sold for com. They're not sold in retail stores where my poor competitors, they have a nice color box, which means when it goes to ship to you, Someone else has to put it in another brown box and put some fill around it. So they've got another $2 cost. And at the end of the day, I have a cost advantage because of the shipping, because of the brown, brown and brown box also cost me 60 cents less than a color box. So all I'm giving you is an example of a tiny competitive advantage. But every business has a, has a series of tiny competitive advantages. That's my experience rather than inventing 
you know, the next uh, rocket science. I love that. So that to me, that goes into a, like, it's a cost efficiency, right? It's how do I get the thing most cost efficient to give me that little edging cost? That's exactly right. But it could also be a pricing thing. If I could sell something for more money, that's another um, angle. So I, I have longer warranties than my competitors, but I charge a tiny little bit more. But when you're buying a freezer, what's kind of the inconvenience factor if your freezer dies? It's kind of big. and Very, you know, I had that more. happen. <laughs> it's very right. it, 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 Exactly. And, and if I said, oh, and this costs you $10, $10 more, $20 more. Oh, by the way, it's 10-year warranty or five-year warranty. You say, oh, that, that's cool. I'll pay you $10 more because I want something that's reliable. And uh, so it can be on a pricing. It can be on a cost. It can be on... Um, uh, like I look at things that, all right, another example, um, we, we make and sell wine coolers and it's a glass front refrigerator that you put wine bottles in. And, and I go back and we've got, uh, uh, they go out to, uh, a shredder, which is basically, uh, a recycling if it's broken. If, if, and so I go out there and said, what are we doing, you know, with these? And I said, well, let's not sell them for scrap metal. Let's, the compressor out and put grow lights in. So we took the compressor out, put grow lights in, and we sell them as herb growers. So it's like <laughs> Allo reallocation, it's, recycling. Right. And then we sold it as Danby Fresh Eco. That was the name of the product, Danby Fresh. And we called it Eco. And we said to little, little asterisk, you know, this is made from a recycled wine cooler. And the people that are buying them, they're, they're kind of granola heads. And they kind of like the fact that we're making from a, you know, save it from the landfill. And then what happened is, of course, I sold so many of them that we didn't have enough dead wine coolers. <laughs> so we had to make a Danby Fresh from scratch. But competitive advantage, we used the molds and the dyes that we already had made for the wine cooler. The wine so I didn't go, we didn't go and redesign the box and, and start from scratch. We said, oh, we're already pounding out uh, 20,000 of these. Well, let's just pound out 21,000 and turn a thousand of them into um, herb growers. And the other reason herb growers are competitive advantage is in my appliance business, I compete with GE and Whirlpool and um, Samsung and LG and all these great big guys. Herb growers if I do really well on them, I'll sell $5 million a year, $3 million, $2 million. It's, it's, you know, wildest dreams, $10 million a year. Well, if you go to um, Samsung and say, you want to sell $10 million, it's like me saying to you, oh, I've got a job here for you. You can make an extra quarter. You're not going <laughs> to get me to do this job for a quarter. They, 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 can't, they can't afford it. So, but for me, uh... that's a niche. Uh, for me, a $2 million, $3 million piece of business, that's 2% of sales, 1% of sales. Good piece of business for me, terrible piece of business for um, the bigger guy. And it's like one of my kids, he's like, oh my gosh, mom, you know, <laughs> literally one of my kids said, he's like, you know, a lot of people are getting sick now. So mommy, if you stand on the corner with a box of tissues and you sell them for like a quarter each, you could probably make some money. <laughs> Uh, good for him. So he's got a good business head. I'm like, yeah, but sweetie, in the same amount of time, make a little bit more than that at my job. <laughs> <laughs> Just a tad. Just a tad. Exactly. <laughs> Tissues for a quarter. It's great. <laughs> Business-minded children. Maybe a penny. <laughs> no, it's genius. It's genius. Totally. See, that's the start of the entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Oh, this it's, one's... It's, oh, it's, I got two of them. I got, I got probably... 
Uh, I'm looking at all my kids. I have five kids. Oh, awesome. So, five kids in 92 episodes. So, it's, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's, that's pretty much all I do. <laughs> I can see that. I love this. So I feel like you're an efficiency expert. Like all of these, these are, these are efficiency advantages. Like that's what they are. But sometimes the yeah. advantage could be a brand advantage. It's really taking stock of what you have. I feel like that, that's the lesson that's I'm taking from this. It's, it's look at what you've got and look at where you can use what you have, whether it's time, the power of while, or space, or like with the smoothies, or you know, things that are otherwise not being used, like recycling the fridges. It's like, look at what you have and look at if there's anything more you can do with it. That's exactly right. It can also be relationships. I sell to Costco. Well, that means I can sell something else to Costco because I have a relationship there. I already have a vendor number. They already have approved me. It's easy for me to sell one more product. Very tough for you to sell to Costco. You don't know who to sell to. They won't return your call. How do you get set up as a vendor and whatnot? So that it could be the relationship that you have. That can be uh, a competitive advantage. Um, I also I love being a big distance size wise from my competitors. So I actually love doing $400 million in a business where most people do 10 billion for that size thing. Because I will do a run of a thousand. And I have uh, my, and, uh, there's another little company that does like 40 million. They have a niche because they'll do a piece of business I can't do. So the more you can be the difference in size from your competitors, that gives you a competitive advantage. Right, I found that for me because I specialize, like I said, in micro businesses, zero to a million profit, very yeah, yeah, few yeah. competent people do that. The competent people are like, no, I want, you know, I only do from like the 5 million plus range. And so there's very few really competent people in micro business. And I found that to be one of my biggest competitive advantages because the marketplace is full of, no offense, a lot of idiots. Because <laughs> anyone who's good wants to go bigger, but I don't. I like these guys. Which you've totally nailed it. That's a competitive advantage because yeah. the big, other guys don't want to talk to these little guys and other people are incompetent. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> I, got, I got a great niche right in the middle. I'm not an idiot and I don't want to go that big with the bigger companies. I like working with the owners. Once you go bigger, perfect. you get to work with the owners. You got to work with all their staff and then everything moves slow and it's clunky and then you're just like every other consulting firm who gets nothing done. Like when we work with people, we get real results because we work with the people who can make things happen. That sounds awesome. So you've got a niche. Different. I love it. I love this. You are so much fun. So tell people where, where can people find out more about you, about Shipper B, um, tap you as mentor. <laughs> So, so uh, I mean, I'm Jim Estel. I've got a blog at jimestel.com. Dan B is danb.com. I mean, it's Dan B Appliances. And Shipper B is shipperb.com. And if you can't use Google to find me, then you probably aren't worth finding me. I mean, Google. Yeah, like LinkedIn, DIYF. LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn user. I think LinkedIn is an awesome, awesome tool. What I love about LinkedIn is you keep your own contact information. So five years from now, I want to get a hold of you. You've changed jobs. I don't have to ch change, you know, your business card. I, I, you never lose track of people on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's true. As long as they update their info. <laughs> exactly. No, that's fantastic. Jim, this has been completely amazing. Um, so you've already given me a bunch of cool quotes, but I like to surprise my guests at the end and ask for a quote. It does not have to be a favorite one of all time, and you've already given me a bunch you could lean on. But if you have a quote you can share with us to send us on our way, that'd be awesome. Okay, so I'm going to 
pivot completely and it's fail often, fail fast, fail cheap. Okay. Explain. Which is uh, having a failure does not make you a failure and create a, comp a culture of failure in your business, which means allow people to try things and fail. Because if you don't do that, if you only take the safe route, that will be failure. If you never try anything, that, that isn't, you're guaranteed to fail on that. So it's sort of like step up to bat and swing a hundred times. You're better. You're going to hit more balls. than if you say, I'm afraid to go up to bat and, and do it. So, uh, but the key is fail often, do it a lot, fail fast. So don't go and say, I'm going to spend a decade doing this and, and, and fail cheap. And that's where some of the people fail, you know, put all your life savings into something. No, fail often, fail fast, fail cheap. So how do people make sure to fail cheap? Well, one way to do it is to uh, set your budgets when you go in. And people tend to have sunk cost syndrome. So we spent uh, $100,000 on this so far, so I, we have to keep spending more money and blah, blah, blah. But if you say up front, okay, I've got a $100,000 budget, you tend to stop sooner. So that's how I feel cheap. And the other thing is, what's the definition of cheap? Definition of cheap for me is something that doesn't bankrupt you. So. Uh, it means for me, I could have a $5 million goose egg and I wouldn't like it. It's not fun, but at the end of the day, it's affordable. Right. Now I hear that being cheap is relative for every person. Like when we teach in marketing, so we have a marketing program for, for micro business owners. And uh, part of what we teach is you never waste money on marketing again. Right. And, and what you learn is how to test marketing concepts and, and yeah. marketing campaigns uh, either for free or with a budget, and I always say to people, if you're going to spend it, I need you to be prepared to lose it. And they're like, but you told me it's going to work. I said, it should work. But there's no guarantees. What if something happens tomorrow? What if we were completely off the mark? The biggest companies make the biggest mistakes. I said, I give you no promises that we do something to work. We did our best effort. We did our best research. There's no reason it shouldn't, but never put money into something that you're not ready to say goodbye to and never see again. Totally right. And marketing is perfect for fail off and fail fast, fail cheap. Oh yeah. So you should try doing a trade show and find, oops, that, that was a fail off, a fail cheap or, or try Facebook ads or try Twitter ads or try Instagram, like try and fail off and fail fast, fail cheap. But as soon as you find out, wow, these Facebook ads really work for me, then go spend as much as you can on those Facebook ads. But what will happen, I guarantee you, is they will stop working. That, that they're built to yeah. stop working and all every single one of these tools and i i deep in all of them they're built in bell curves like everything in business like everything in life so they'll start off slow and sometimes you'll just get it wrong it won't go but even when it goes it goes high and then it goes low and the trick is always when you as soon as you start seeing law of diminishing returns that moment is when you need to revamp because then you get to start a new curve otherwise you're on a down slope. And every time I have a client that's coming in at that law of diminishing returns part of the curve, I'm always like, this is where you're at. And they're like, what do I do? I said, we need to think different. And then they just go into this panic because we watch the number. Like I just sat with some recently in business for 25 years and he, and we ran his numbers and I showed him last five years, you are going law of diminishing returns. He's just like, no, like, like it's fine. You know, you know, before you hit the like swish part. So just start again. Okay. Um, okay. This has been so much fun. I love that. I love that as a quote, Jim, I think you are fantastic. And for all of you listening who want to see the recap of this, you will find show notes at sdran.com slash 92 and share the love guys. This has been so cool. Anyone who you know, who's in the 3PL market or in the manufacturing market or just in business in general, there was so much gold in here. I feel happier. 
today for having had this conversation. Jim, thank you so much. This was amazing. Well, thank you. It's been, a, been, been fun. Yeah, this has been super fun. And guys, we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with SD Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?